when God anointed David to be king, I don't think David fully grasped how difficult the path would be to becoming king. When David was a young boy at the taking care of his father's sheep and, and Samuel anointed his head with oil and the oil ran down his head, through his clothes, down to his sandals. It was definitely one of those moments of like, wow, God, you recognize me. God, you see me. You, 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 you're calling me to something special and greater. And I'm sure at that moment, that call brought to him some great expectations and even excitement about the future. But little did David know that not only was God with him, but God was going to lead him into some of the most difficult times of his life. That God was going to take this young boy and make him a great king, but he was going to use trials and difficulty and turmoil and struggle all through his life to make him an accomplished leader. And David found his first battle with, we all know the story of David and Goliath. He's a young little boy, and he fights a giant. He wins with the giant, and then he comes into the king's palace. So at this moment, David's life is at a high note. They're even singing songs about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And, well, that creates jealousy and even a spear being thrown at David. And David has to run and hide for his life. He finds himself in caves hiding, writing psalms in caves. And he finds himself in a place where he doesn't know who to trust or who he can count on. Or if, if they're going to tell King Saul where he is. Because King Saul has it in his heart to kill David. Because he sees God's hand on David's life. And so David finds himself in such a bad place that he even tries, he gets found out in one kingdom and he, he pretends to be a madman. He pretends in front of this king that uh, they heard how great this David was and they brought him into the throne room of the king and David begins to drool and let drool fall down into his beard and he begins to claw at a doorpost like a madman and, and the king literally throws David out and says, I got enough madmen in here, I don't need any more and throws David out and David was pretending because he was afraid for his own life. David was going through one of the most difficult times of his life. So bad, it became so bad for David that the only place David could find peace and safety was in the land of the enemy. That's a low place to be, my dear friend. Where you find yourself in the land of the people that you, you became famous for killing. Famous for killing a giant that the Philistines brought to an army. Famous for slaying Philistines and bringing back uh, 200 foreskins to win the heart of Michael, the daughter of Saul. Famous for, for, for being a warrior against the Philistines. And guess who they sang songs about his 10,000s that he killed. That was the Philistines, the people that he was fighting. And David has to align himself with his own enemy so he could find peace and safety from Saul. Now David finds himself in a real low place because he goes with the Philistines up to battle. And guess who they're fighting? They're going to fight Israel. 
Talk about a different place for David. David is in a real, real particular place. He's, he's kind of he's working and navigating his way through his life and not understanding that God is involved in all the things that are coming down his way, just making him a stronger and greater leader. And so David finds himself at the army of the Philistines and the captain of the armies began to look at everyone. And then, and then when the captain comes to David, the captain says, isn't that David? Isn't that the guy that they sang songs about? Isn't that the guy who killed the giant in the valley? Isn't it, what's he doing here and all his men here? And the captain of the army said, we don't want him here because if we're in the heat of the battle, he could turn on us and we could be in a bad place. So, so David's also in a, in a weird place now because he's not welcome at home and he's not even welcome with the enemy. And so they send him back home. And it's a, probably about a three-day journey to get back to Ziglag from where David was. And so he takes his journey back to Ziglag. And they could see the smoke in the distance from the city where they had their families, their wives, and everything that they owned was there. And when they get there, David finds that his wives are gone. And all the men that were with him, their wives and their children were gone, were taken captive. And it's become such a horrible place that the Bible literally said, And David was greatly distressed. Talk about being stressed out, man. That's a, that's a stressful moment in David's life. The men, soldiers, grown men, we're talking about strong men, ready to kill a man, another man without a tear, shedding a tear, ready to fight in battle. These were men that the Bible said became great and mighty men who did greater things than even David had accomplished because they had faith just like David. They were great men, but yet the Bible said these great men wept so hard over the loss of their families and over the situation of their life that they had no more power to weep. That's a, that's a low place, my dear friend. That's a low place. And David found himself in a place where he had no one to turn to. The men he was with who came to him, he used to be able to turn to them. But at this moment, they're talking about stoning him. There are nothing he could do but just, but just receive whatever they bring his way. So he can't turn to them. But this is what makes David great. If you want to know what makes David a mighty man and what makes him the apple of God's eye, it's this, this story just, it just brings it all into focus because when everything was against David, when the enemy was against David, when, when his own people were against him, and when the people who were walking with him were against him, he doesn't cower down and say, that's it, I quit. I run, I'm done. No, he, he literally encourages himself in the Lord. Amen. That's what a powerful statement. And that word encourage himself in the Hebrew is not just him, not him, not, not him just uh, having a prayer meeting. It literally means that David had a conversation with himself. He began to talk to himself. He said, he said to himself, the Lord is with me. He said to himself, if God before me, who can be against me? 
He said to himself, God, you gave me a giant. This giant is no different than any other giant. He began to have a conversation in his mind and in his heart. And it wasn't just any conversation. It was an encouraging conversation. We live in a day where people are inundated with negativity. They're inundated with with gossip and backbiting and and ridicule and and constant bombardment from the enemy. But there are times where we got to shut out the other voices. And David shut out the voices of the enemy. He shut out the voices of King Saul. He shut out the voices of the men who were contemplating stoning him. And he turned inward and he said, God, I know that you brought me here for some reason. Something is important. This moment is important. (coughs) Forgive me my voice. I got a lot of preaching me, but not a lot of voice. So David had to look inwardly. He had to look inwardly. And while he's looking inwardly, he's looking upward as well. And that's the important part. He begins to have a conversation with himself. You know, there are times that we need to start using the word of God as a way to fight Back when the enemy is attacking us. Amen. We need to know some of the scriptures that God says he is with us. Right. That we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. We can can quote these verses and have it. Have you ever been in a low place and all of a sudden you pull out a scripture and you began to proclaim it in your own life. You began to declare it over your family. You declare it in your heart. That's called an inward conversation talking to God. That's what that is. That is an encouraging moment in your life. There are some times, my dear friend, you're not going to hear it from the pastor. You're not going to hear it from your friends. Sometimes you're going to have to tell yourself to get up and move forward to do what God has asked you to do. (coughs) He looks inward because there are times where... When the outward only looks like misery and then he looks upward, he calls out to God because he knows that the God who has brought him here, there's a reason for all of this. And this is the thing that's fascinating about David is that when everything's against him, he understands this, I still have somewhere to turn. I still have somewhere to turn. It may feel, it may feel like it's falling apart all around you. But you need to know you still have somewhere to turn. You're not alone in this. It's not over. Amen. Moses stood at the bank of a Red Sea. And everything seemed like it was against him. But he looked upward and said, be still and see the salvation of your God. Right? Because he looked upward. Paul and Silas at midnight in the innermost part of the prison in their hands and stocks and bonds. Their backs were beat and they began to look upward while they were in that low distressful place and began to pray and sing praises to God. And God came down and shook the prison. Why? Because when everything else was against them, they knew that God was still with them and they had a recourse. They had some 
nowhere to turn. And what you need to know, no matter where you are financially or spiritually or where you are physically, you still have somewhere to turn. Your God is a place you can turn for the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. And so I want to share with you just really briefly here some things in this story that really, that really speak to me. The first thing I want to share is this, that I can't blame others for my lack of strength in the Lord. My dear friend, God, God has strength for me. People can be against me, but my God has not turned against me. Amen? And many times in our Christian walk, we will look at the outward outward, uh, situation and we will say, where are those who care for my soul? Where are those who love me? Where are those who are going to walk beside me? Where's the ones I can latch arms with and agree with? Where where are those who are going to be on my side? And we're going to find in times in our life there will be some people we can rely on and count on. But the sad truth is, my dear friend, there are going to be times in your Christian walk where you will come to church and you will feel completely and utterly alone. And the circumstances surrounding you will not look wonderful but they may be stressful, they may be agonizing, and there may be times of misery. And in those moments, it's easy to say, well, I would have strength if I had someone to be with me. Or I would have strength if the pastor cared about me. Or I would have strength if the brothers and the sisters in the church actually paid attention to me. They didn't shake my hand or tell me hello. They didn't even come by and say they're glad to see me. None of those things happen. And so you can even easily and quickly blame others for why you don't feel the strength but David doesn't look at his partners that are with him and say I have no strength because of them he doesn't look at the enemy and say I have no strength because of them he doesn't look at King Saul and say I have no strength because of them he looks inwardly and says I'm going to the one who can give me the strength that I am in need of I'm telling you you don't need anybody else the only only one you've ever needed was God. He's the only one you've ever needed. It's easy to blame the leadership or the church, but in truth, sometimes the biggest problem is looking at you in the mirror. The reason why we don't see great revival or you don't, you don't see great revival is not necessarily because the leadership isn't bringing it to you. It's sometimes because you're not allowing it to flow into you. I preached a message a long time ago in the old building over there. And I preached about the greatest enemy of your life. And I put on a chair a picture of the greatest enemy of your life. And I covered that picture up. And through the course of the message I began to preach about this enemy. And what this enemy does to your life. And one by one, during at the end of the message, the altar call was to come up and look at that enemy. And underneath the curtain was a mirror. Because looking back at you every single morning when you stand in front of that mirror is sometimes your greatest enemy. 
Sometimes it isn't the devil. Sometimes it isn't the neighbor. Sometimes it's that person in the mirror that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Sometimes it's that person. And so you have to understand that it's not the outward that stops you from having strength. It's not what's going on around you that stops you from having strength. It could be your connection to God that is stopping you from having strength. And so look inwardly, my dear friend. David looked into himself. He began to have a conversation with himself. And he began to realize that God was with him. The second thing I want to bring out is that I need to be someone who elevates a place. Because you're going to find yourself in places where there is no moving of God. Come on now. (laughs) Or at least you're going to feel like God ain't there. You're going to feel like the Holy Spirit wasn't moving or like there wasn't a great outpouring of God's presence. Or I remember one time I was commissioned by the Holy Spirit to a to be a part of a, a church, and I'm telling you, this church, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I'm just speaking factually, the church was spiritually deprived. I, it had no flow, it had no spirit moving. The people in the pews were utterly depressed. They were going through a very low time. Their pastor and their the pastor and his wife had split up, and the wife was now with a uh, uh, was living with another man uh, from uh, from with the, another man in the church, still attending the church, while her husband, who she was divorcing, was leaving the whole community, and and he got, he got hooked on drugs. Who this, this was the pastor's. And, and after all of that befell the church, an older minister came in to try to help reget, regenerate something. But you could feel the utter depression in that place. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and my wife's heart and said, we want you, I want you to attend this place. And your number one goal while you're there is to elevate it. Lift it up. Don't let it die. Come in there and pump life Into something that's fallen apart. You see David is in a place in his life. Where life is not flowing. Matter of fact the options are death. They're thinking of stoning him. This is a distressful time in his life. And so in his life he feels like what's the point or what's the use. Or or what what am I going to do about the situation. And what David does by looking inwardly and upwardly. He simply elevates himself and pulls himself right out of that horrible place. Do you know that you can lift yourself right out of that horrible place that you're in right now. Not because you... You have the strength, but because you know how to reach up and grab hold of God. Amen. And so we need to be people who elevate a place. Don't come in talking about why you don't feel the spirit moving. Come in and talk about how you're going to look for the spirit today. Don't come in talking about why the song service didn't move you. Come in saying, I need to be moved by the Spirit of God. Come in and be somebody who elevates the place. Not somebody who's looking to be elevated. When we start living a life that says, I want to elevate this place. Then we start becoming ministers. (coughs) I need a drink of water after that. 
So David, he elevates the whole situation. He elevates it, and I love what David does. David says, tells Abathar the priest, he says, hey, bring me the ephod. And this is fascinating because the ephod stems all the way back to Exodus, and it's a priestly garment. And the priests would wear it while they were doing service unto the Lord. And so the ephod took on new meaning in, in, in the Old Testament because it became something uh, that signified, I'm coming to God. And people would, David especially, put on the ephod, not because he considered himself to be the priest of the people, but because he said, I am putting this on because when the priests come to God, they come to God wearing this, and I'm putting this on because I wanted God to know that I'm coming to him. I'm coming to him. I can't, I can't do this. I can't overcome it. But I'm, I'm believing God to elevate this situation. And so I'm putting on the ephod. In other words, David said, I'm going to have a prayer meeting. I'm going to communicate with God. And when he puts the ephod on, he don't talk to Abathar the priest. He doesn't talk to the people who want to stone him. He doesn't talk to the enemy. He doesn't send messengers to King Saul. He looks up to God. He says, God, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I, will I overcome them? Come on, ain't that awesome? He, he comes to God. Let me tell you something. The best prayer meetings you can ever have is when you're in the lowest place of your life and you get on your knees and you spiritually put on your ephod and you say, God, I don't understand and I don't know why, but I know this. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that you are able. Will you go with me through this valley? Oh, and God moved God moved upon David. He spoke to David. Isn't it fascinating that in the lowest place of David's life, God still spoke to him. Living in the enemy's territory, God still spoke to him. Broken by the circumstances that befallen him, still God spoke to him. And what you need to know is that if you're in a low place right now, that does not determine whether God is still with you or not with you. God is still with his people no matter where they are. He walks through fiery furnaces. He walks through lion's dens. He splits red seas. He calms the storm. He heals the widow broken heart. He heals the lame and the blind and the deaf ears. God is still with them that are in a low place. <coughs> and so he prays, God, will you be with me? And what I love about David, listen, his prayer is not the prayer of oh me. Or why me? <laughs> he literally prays and says, are you going to give me victory? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Are you going to give me victory? Do I have the victory, God? Is the victory mine? If I go get them, is it mine? Is this mine today? Can I claim victory? Can I, can I speak by faith that this is mine? Can I declare by the power of you that you're still with me and the enemy has not defeated me? 
That's what he's praying. He's praying for a victory. And God says to him, pursue them. Oh, mm, oh Lord, help me not to dance. I'm not to dance. Amen. The Holy Spirit gives commission to David and says, you will overcome them. And I love the final words, you will recover all. Mm. Oh, man. <coughs> and what I, oh, this is something I need you to understand that people in our society feel like they've messed up so much that they can't fix their family. People feel like they've ruined things so much that they can't actually be a better person. There are people who feel like because they've been, they have not done it the way God initially wanted them to do it or they, they've been in a low place that they feel like there's no use or what's the purpose in trying. But this story tells us that God is in the business of a recovery mission. He can recover all that the enemy has stolen. Oh man, what a, what a great, what a great thought. And I love what David's doing. David is literally saying this. I'm done crying about what I lost. I'm asking you, can I have it back? <laughs> Amen. I'm done crying about it. And, and this is my last point. I'm taking it back in Jesus' name. I'm taking it back in Jesus' name. God gave David permission to pursue. And I want you to understand what that means. Because inside David's heart, he felt locked up. He felt like everything was against him. He felt like there was no hope. But when the Spirit of God said, pursue, pursue. It was like an unlocking of the Spirit of God in his heart. There was hope in front of him and not despair. There was a future and not a destruction. All of a sudden it all changed because God gave one word, pursue them. I want you to know that what we need today is not some fancy orator. We do not need more people who can homiletically and hermeneutically prepare sermons and deliver them effectively to a body. What we need is a genuine word from God that says pursue and recover. Pursue and overcome. Pursue and recover. Because that's where the victory is, my dear friend. It's where we hear the word of God that says it's yours. It's yours. Take it. It's yours, take it. And so, and so I say to people who are struggling, victory is yours, grab hold of it. And so I say to those who are weary, don't be weary anymore. Start talking to yourself. Have a conversation with yourself. Tell yourself to get up out of the mess you're in. Tell yourself to say, Lord, you brought me here for a reason. Let the word of God be the, be the very focus of your life. Speak it into your spirit. Speak it into your mind. And declare it over your home and over your family. And let God be the one who lifts you out of it. And the word of God is what flowed into David's heart. And the Bible said that David looked at his men. And he, told, he spoke that word over them. The God said, pursue, you will overtake them, you will recover all. 
That's a whole other three-point message, my dear friend. And I don't have time to homiletically formulate it and preach it today. But I just want you to know that the word of God, I believe, for us this morning is that very word. Pursue, overcome, and recover. Pursue, overcome, and recover. I believe that's what it's all about. We're going to pursue what God has for us. We're going to overcome the enemy who's brought such destruction into our homes. And we're going to recover what the enemy has stolen. He's stolen our children. He's stolen our families. He's stolen our husbands, our wives. He's stolen churches. But in the name of Jesus, we're going to take it all back. Amen. And so I'm done crying about what I've lost. And I'm taking it back. Amen. I'm done. I'm done with the weeping. I'm done with the sorrow around. I'm done with all. No, no, no. My dear friend, I had a conversation with myself. And I told myself what God's word says. I looked inwardly and I looked upward. And I'm telling you the Holy Spirit saying pursue, overcome, and recover. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. I don't look at today and say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about coronavirus? Oh my gosh, what are we going to do about all the situation that's befallen our country? I am not in fear of any of those things. For I have a word from God. I've heard the Master's voice. I know what He says. Pursue, overcome, and recover. And David pursues him. Let me end this story with this. David David gets his men, he speaks the word over the men, and the men hear what God has said. They began to pursue. But in the pursuit, some of the men become too weary to continue. Because they've been worn out by David. And David is a leader that understands that he's pushing some people too far. So he allows some of those men to stay back. But the rest of the men continue with David. And they find the people, the Amalekites who had stolen everything. And they fight against them and destroy them. And they, de- they recover everything they lost. And even more. And when they come back to the men who were weary. I want you to catch this because this is... This is This is why God loves David. David comes back to the men who were weary. He comes back with their wives and their children. Come on now. Some of the men who were thinking of stoning him, who couldn't continue the fight, who couldn't pursue because they were too weary, David brings them back everything they lost. And he presents them to him. And even the spoils of the war are there. Now some of the men who went to the battle did not want to share the spoil. Because they were too weary to fight. And they felt like they didn't deserve it. But David says, no, 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 no. Even those who are weary receive of the spoil. And he blessed those men too. Talk about a good leader. Talk about a good leader. Amen. What he would have done by his siding with those other people was divide his own, his own people, some against another. But he said, no, we're not, we're not separating, my dear friend. We're going to stay together. 
If we win it, it's all of us winning it. And let me tell you something. When you as a family start taking it back in Jesus' name, it's not just you winning it, but you're winning it for the whole church body. I want you to know that you're winning it for the whole church body. When you get victory, it's not just your victory. It brings victory into this house. Amen. It brings victory right here. And so Christian, understand something. You're not just fighting for yourselves. You're fighting for everything that you've lost and those who are watching you. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning? I hope the word of the Lord encourages you.